Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. And boy, do we ever have some of the very best in video game music for you all today. This is a spotlight episode on one of our absolute favorite classic VGM composers, a legend, Junko Tamiya. I would say that Junko Tamiya is an underrated video game composer, partly because she only composed for a handful of games before leaving the world of VGM. Uh, So that makes sense. She only had a small number of years that she was active, but were those important formative years? Oh my gosh, late 80s, starting into the early 90s, uh, just did some of the best work on the NES. Amazing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And what's great about Junko Tamiya's music is I feel like it is both compositionally and implementationally unmistakable she yeah. ha- she, the way that her scores utilize the pulse channels is very distinct she tends to be a fan of using tremolo as opposed to vibrato or mm-hmm. sometimes in addition to it but that is a big part of her sound the particular yeah. way that her noise channel drums sound the kinds of dissonances and harmonies it's oh, that yeah. type of part writing that has a lot of open fourths and fifths but it's not quite as simple as some composers that just use nothing but like bar chords or parallel motion her music is contrapuntal and interesting and it just has a really unique and um fascinating atmosphere i think absolutely it's just oh this is going to be such an exciting episode junko tamiya anyone who's been listening to us from the beginning she's a classic face in in our podcast and in the vgm kind of the origins of of the vgm scene so um, a little bit of backstory on Junko Tamiya. She did start working for Capcom in about 1987. She went to the Osaka College of Music, and there she actually met and became friends with fellow VGM composers Miki Higashino, Soyo Oka, and Yosuke Inoue. So that is really cool to think about these these people, you know, going to college, learning about some of the, the fundamentals of music. And then I, I think it was at her college, she saw some posting that said, oh, Capcom is, is hiring for composers. And so... Yeah, there was a lot of people of that era where they would literally post flyers in the 80s exactly. at colleges. What an exciting time. Man. Oh, man. And, and I really, love thinking of those three amazing women all like knowing each other and being friends and... and- she was known, I would say, primarily for her work on the NES, but she did do some arcade work early on. And so the the first thing we're going to focus on today, uh, we'll talk about her plan. But other than that, uh, it's actually going to be an arcade track. After that, it's all NES music today. We can't play every single score. She's done. There's there's not a lot, um, but we're focusing on some of the best stuff. So there's a couple scores we're leaving out today. Um, but in in any case, yeah, the two scores that she ended her video game music career in 1990 were Little Nemo, the Dream Master, and Street Fighter 2010. And I would argue those are her two her two masterpieces. Dude, isn't it crazy how long ago this was? It was so long ago that 2010 seemed impossibly in the future. Futuristic, and now, yeah. 2010 is 11 years in the past. Even Street Fighter 2020 were such a game to exist would yeah, already be It's making historical. me feel old, so let's not, let's not focus on that too much. <laughs> so what you guys heard playing in was from Street Fighter 2010. It was a track called Rooted, and don't worry, because we have a lot. More than half the playlist today is Little Nemo and Street Fighter 2010, because those were 
in some ways, maybe the biggest scores she did and the most just consistent banger after banger. So we're going to get a lot of that music today. Let's move back to one of the first things she did. It was the arcade version of the game Strider. Let's play a track from this arcade score. It's Siberian Wilderness 2 Long Dash, composed by Junko Tamiya. guys are listening to Siberian Wilderness 2 from Strider, and this is incredible music. I think the Strider music is so underrated, and we're going to definitely incorporate some of the stuff in Mercado Radios. We're only playing one track from Strider today just because we want to have room for what I consider her masterpieces. Um, but this is such a great score. One thing I found interesting, I, w- I was looking up some information about it. Uh, the main, I guess, producer or director of the game... <laughs> wanted the music to emphasize emotions and feelings and he also wanted uh tamiya-san to study the music of igor stravinsky especially the rite of spring so that was a pretty specific direction that that she got starting to work on this music i think i it's interesting to know that and listen to this unbelievable yeah i mean such a yeah, for anyone who who looks down at video game music as like a, a lower level, non-serious art form, I mean, it's just insane to me in the picture that we've described of, you know, she's a college student, basically. I mean, think about it. I, to any of you who went to music school or who studied composition in a collegiate environment, I really challenge you to think of a single person in any of your fields of studies who would have or could have written the piece of music we just listened to. Yeah. It's so fascinating and it's so phenomenal. You hear the influence of kind of classical music or at least the inspiration of writing contrapuntally, yet you do hear the era. You feel the sort of 80s, 90s, what will be the sort of 90s, you know, pop sound that in the fusion-y sound, some of those like 70s-esque slash chords. Yeah. It's it's just so exciting to think of this is a a budding young artist of her time, but really kind of part of a generation that's shaping their time as well. What's so crazy about listening to Junko Tamiya's music is every single thing she touched in her few number of years that she was active for Capcom was so confident and so unique and just so bold. I mean, you can hear Tamiya's style just really resonating in the score to Strider. And it's going to be fun as we maybe kind of end our episode on what I'm considering her two masterpieces where she feels so confident. And the the sad thing is, is that she didn't stick around so that we can't have more and more great Tamiya scores. But what we have, we we really appreciate. So let's move on. This is... To me, kind of a more obscure score. I, I think I had heard something from it a long time ago when I was just going on a kick 
a Tamiya kick. Um, but compared to some of the titles today, it's a little obscure. It's called Sweet Home, and this is a Famicom game. Let's play a track called The Flooded Basement. Here we go. guys listening to a gorgeous piece of music called the flooded basement from sweet home and i'm really glad we get to play something from this because i think that even junko tamiya fans it's possible that they might not have listened to this score this is so beautiful you can really tell that she's being influenced here by film music i did read that uh that that i think she said in an interview at one point that whenever she would run out of ideas she would listen to outside music such as classical or film music and so i think this is her definitely drawing from some of those composers will what are your thoughts on this that's the thing that i love so much about junko tamiya is Uh, especially amongst Capcom composers, she has such a unique approach because she really, her music is in many ways, I'd say sort of the most serious of her contemporaries that I Mm -hmm. feel like she's writing up to games in in similar to ways that like composers, like if you think of Sugiyama, for instance, where it's like not even considering the game's idiom, but, but her music like this, you can just hear it being composed on the piano with, you know, lots of pedaling and very rubato. That that is for a fact. She did say that in an interview that she composed everything on, on a keyboard. And then later she had to translate the code uh, to get it to work on the NES. So that, but you can hear that that expressiveness that she's writing it as though it were a piano piece, and just thinking of translating that. Where I think so many composers always had the fact that it was electronic in the very forefront of their musical expression. Yeah. Where this, the amazing way, it's just so non-traditional for the time too. The melody is triangle and in many ways <laughs> that's such a beautiful way of looking at it because this is a two voice piece and it uses both of the pulse channels for that delay effect. So it's almost like a harp and voice or something. Yeah, and the use sure. of that half diminished chord arpeggio, but it's so simple too. Like it, it, this piece, this is is a piece of music where I feel like there's such an economy of notes and it's really like every single note has profound meaning gorgeous gorgeous harmonic progression but incredibly divinely inspired you know VGM orchestration here though I mean one of the best examples of triangle melody that I can think of. Uh, yeah. It, it truly transcends the primitive sound hardware of the NES here. It's just gorgeous music. Let's move on to a classic soundtrack, Junko Tamiya, uh, doing her thing. Now, this is the first time today when we're going to hear her classic use of the noise channel in a really exciting way. We're going to play three tracks today from Bionic Commando. Let's start off with Processing Plant Theme, composed by Tamiya. Here we go. Mm-hmm. 
with that. One five, one five, just so strong, so classical, very, very exciting. I love how she uses the marching snare drum type of a uh, feel on the noise channel here. This is from Bionic Commando. It's processing plant theme. I mean, yeah, Bionic Commando. I mean, now basically everything we're going to play from the rest of the episode is just absolutely iconic NES music that hopefully all of you are familiar with, and we just get to celebrate it today. Oh, so good. Oh, God, the writing here is so exquisite. I mean, yeah, she is someone to study. If you want a great VGM composer to study part writing and to study the way... To study every single thing Everything is voiced. Yeah, it's, Yeah. it's absolutely flawless. The bass line has that great mixture of providing multiple services both being the bass voice but it's in that trebly register and it has this mm-hmm. rhythmic syncopation to it yet it's so simple this is not a do do ticket do 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 you know it's not a really active nimble bass line it's that economy of notes and the same with all the counter melodies and the use of delay that incredibly late delay but the other thing that's so brilliant is the melody that she writes outlines these um that sort of half diminished chord sound that very dreamy sound that we heard in the flooded basement track um, but w- by having it delayed in this way, you get this really interesting harmonic sound. Yeah, I mean, another thing that's so fun about today is this is all classic short-loop Capcom NES VGM. I mean, every single track, for the most part, on today's playlist is like 38 to 43 seconds long. And it's like what she does in that time is amazing. I mean... You're going to listen to this track on loop over and over and over and over. And you're, I can't imagine ever getting sick of this music. It's just so exciting. Yeah. I mean, so this, I feel like has, this kind of writing is very influential to someone like Jake Kaufman. The Shovel Knight score yep. is full of this. This is also very Capcom-y. This it's evokes so Mega a lot Man-y. of Takashi Tateshi's work. It's yeah. crazy. Very Mega Man. Um, but in that use of the Dorian mode where it's somewhere in between the like rock or pop idioms and yeah. the sort of folk tradition, the more heroic use of it, but it's so uncliché. It me. would have been amazing if she did one last score. After she did those two masterpieces in 1990, it would have been so cool if she ended her career with one final Mega Man. Like that timing might have worked out. It would have been what? Like maybe Mega Man 5 or something by that point. How cool would it be if she got to do a Mega Man NES score? That would be Yeah, I mean, she's so better than a lot of the Mega Man composers in my opinion. Like just her writing is so Not gonna argue without flaw. With that, let's move on to the next track we're going to play from Bionic Commando. Let's take a listen to Enemy Base Theme. Thank you. 
definitely the longest track of the day. I, I actually think I need to stand up and applaud. <laughs> I think this deserves a standing yeah. ovation. Let's both do it. Here we go. Let's do okay. it. This is enemy base theme. I and think that's yeah, the I first standing <laughs> ovation of the podcast. But that's like we should just end the show after. I mean, we like, should bow. Well, no, we shouldn't bow. Freaking inspiring. Bow. I, yeah, yeah I, I forgot how long this track was, though. I mean, man. for this era, this is a very long loop. Um, but yeah, I mean, the use of that noise channel is very active and busy on this track, and we're going to hear more examples. When she's not doing a textbook copy-and-paste snare part, I mean, a lot of uh, really fast rhythms, which are trying to sound like a drum roll, and she just nails it. It's so exciting. This score has a very militaristic feel to it, and I think that snare-esque noise channel part is a huge way that she does that. Yeah, it, th this composition, there's just so much to dissect. I mean, first of all, it's a very long loop for, for video game music of the time, and, it, and it's so motivic. It really sounds like film music, that it's yeah. taking a simple sort of melodic phrase and taking it through this whole harmonic journey. Um, yet it, it, it there's a lot of pedal point and it so works with that driving galloping bass and it again such great use of these um, two other voices because yeah. they th that pedal bass note stays constant and unchanging and as these notes move diatonically and chromatically downward they imply different chord voicings and some of them um, are diatonic to different keys and some of them are just incredibly dissonant um, <laughs> and, and it, she just has such a great time freewheeling I mean the, to analyze this piece harmonically it'd be very similar to analyzing an action cue of film music harmonic oh, for sure. structure wise like this is not something that you know you could do simply without a rather sophisticated like understanding of music theory it's frankly. very true like, it's very intricately written but that doesn't even speak to how exciting and emotional and uh, kind of uh, just genuine and powerful the music hits it's us so exciting it's, yeah i fantastic. mean when juko to me is going for this kind of a thing i mean there's there's nothing like it um so we're gonna play one more track from bayana commando and this does a great job if for some reason you're not familiar with tamiya san's style of, of composing this is going to introduce you to a little bit of her quirks and the weirdness that she is not afraid to inject rhythmically, harmonically, uh, like the use of contrast, the use of changing sections. She has so many creative ideas that she can jam into a short piece of NES music. And great example is this one. It's Albatross HQ. Just the best. This is 
perfect video game music. It's so imaginative and full of personality and charm. It's Albatross HQ. My favorite track from Bionic Commando, one of my favorite Junko tracks. It's so quirky, but delightful. I love how long she waits to finally bring that wide vibrato in on that last held note. There's there's a lot to talk about in this one. I mean, this one is just so fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm enchanted. This music is absolutely spellbinding from start to finish. I mean, to it, listen it, to it all in context is pretty insane, right? It's so amazing because it's so classic. I mean, just the sound of the NES and the writing for the NES. This does not sound like you know modern chip tuner, crazy, insane town like no. breaking the system. It's like within the the style and context of the time, yet all the these daring of the time. musical choices that are just so inspiring and so well executed. Yeah, it's and about even unique things like when she does that delay, that dun 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 dun. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly. And it switches from like a wet to dry mix. Yeah, I mean, like to With recreate Junko's that. music for for NES uh, specifically, and that was the bulk of what she did. It's all about creativity. Everything is about creativity. Even yeah. like, you know, I think she was using the same driver for a lot of this music. But what she was choosing to do, when she was gonna put in the vibrato, and when she was gonna use delay and stuff like that, it's all these creative choices that really amplify the effect that the composition has. It's just so incredibly creative. Yeah, very, very well implemented and interesting colors. Yeah, it's that era of, this is the kind of game music we tend not to appreciate because I think it's it's just functioning so well in the background, but man, it's so classic. That little trading off call and response. Da, 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 da. So, and then so with good. that fast vibrato, and then you can hear there's the note, I think a, whether it's like a four or a sharp four, there's one of those notes that like when the vibrato is on, on the NES, for whatever reason, it, it sort of glitches out a little. There's just yeah. that one pitch. I love it. I love yeah. that. <laughs> but okay. she really makes use of that in, in yeah. almost all of her scores. She there's does. That, I feel like there's, the, it's that, it's kind of punk rock. It's badass. It's like if your amp has a hum to it and you just let leave it in the record because it yeah. just makes it raw. Uh, we're going to now move on to one track. Uh, I think it's the only track she did from Codename Viper. This is areas one and two. I think it's like the first stage theme of the game. This is composed by Junko Tamiya, and it's very jazzy, very devious. I mean, this you could put this into DuckTales, and it would fit like a glove. Uh, so that's the vibe that she's going for in this one. And again, showing off that she's not afraid to incorporate some dissonance uh, into this simple, primitive hardware here. Let's take a listen to areas one and two. guys listening to areas one and two it's from codename viper and it is a banger i mean this might be the most underrated track of the day in a way because i i think for a while this might not have been credited 
properly. I, I do think it's the only track she contributed to uh, to this version of Codename Viper. But in any case, I mean, it's so creative and cool. I mean, very dissonant, very wild. I just love every single second of it, though. I mean, this is like that charming Capcom style that we get in other titles such as DuckTales that, I mean, there's a reason why people still cover that music to this day, and I'm sure there's tons of awesome covers of this track. Man, those dissonances and the voicing the triangle up high is just something she does, but... Do you know what I mean about, like, these tracks are meticulously composed. Every oh, yeah. note feels so intentional in the kind of, man, the subtlety she gets with this. Like, you really feel like you're listening to, like, a jazz trio or quartet even. Like, it's, God, the lightness of touch. That's the other thing is, like, some great jazz pianists have a very understated style, like Count Basie or, or something, you know, where it's just kind of like, it, it's, it's not full exertion. Yeah. And the, the lightness of touch that this track starts off with, just hearing those two voices very spaced mm-hmm. apart, it almost sounds like an audacious, like, pianist choice of, like, I'm going to play oh these my God. two yeah, notes absolutely. as the Doesn't only Doesn't this sound like choices. you're listening to, like, stride piano? It, it, it yeah. takes you out of the you know, objectively crappy sounds of the NES, and it brings you to another world. And that's the joy and the magic of Junko Tamiya. So for years, I want to say that this score was only credited to Yoko Shimomura. She she did this score, um, but I think this is maybe the only contribution from Junko Tamiya. And so, yeah, I mean, even if you didn't know that, you could definitely tell this does not sound at all like Yoko Shimomura. And it doesn't also- sound like the other tracks in the game. But also to what a melody. Yeah. So like that man, this is killer. This is just one of the all time classic pieces of game music. And it's like yeah. it's just leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of other music. So of guys, the day. but um, also it's like we don't even need to say that. This is a great era. This was a wonderful point in humanity yeah. <laughs> because there were all this great game music. So guys, um like I said, definitely if you like this music, do yourself a favor and check out more of Junko Tamiya. There's some scores we're not playing today, such as Gunsmoke, which is really great too, and and a few others. But now we're going to move on to her last two titles she worked on, they both came out the same year, 1990. It was the last thing she did. And I think these two are her masterpieces and in some ways her most beloved scores. It's Little Nemo the Dream Master and Street Fighter 2010. You might call them her dream masterpieces. <laughs> her dream masterpieces. Okay, so Little Nemo, uh, we played it. Uh, sorry, we're going to play out, spoiler alert with one of the Little Nemo tracks. It's actually the epilogue. It was too fitting not to do that. But we're going to play quite a bit of of that score now. Uh, Let's start off with a title screen. Now, this is a very short piece of music. What I did here is I just looped it once and then went to the ending. So it's only 42 seconds here in this version. Let's listen to it. The title screen from Little Nemo, the Dream Master.
I mean, another round of applause. Dude, I mean, that just needs another standing <laughs> ovation. Oh my god, <laughs> we're gonna have a lot of that today, though. Um, ah! This is the title screen. That was the title screen from Little Nemo, and. Talk about a killer title screen. I mean, what you hear in the game is just one loop of that. And then I think for the, not the credits, but yeah, for something near the end of the game, might be the credits, it does this again and it loops it forever. Um, and I, I really like hearing this twice with the ending because you get the sense of how short and how like hard hitting it is. But you really want to hear it more than once. It's just... It's absolutely perfect. This, like the track we're going to move to, really remind me of Mario music. And I think a lot of the score, I wonder if Junko Tamiya was particularly inspired by the music of Mario here. You know, I, I have an interesting feeling about this track that this sounds like a pop song. Like, hmm. I, 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 it feels to me like Junko Tamiya is... She's almost years ahead of her time because it almost sounds like a... The kind of thing that like an all-girl like Disney-ified like pop band from the '90s would have a song that sounds like like there's just something. Well, there's it's definitely cute a, and there's so many and uh, like pop and, rock songs that have that groove. Right. So it's definitely. Yeah, but the then right even groove. that major to minor four move and how and like the that little is bit poppy. of jazz like. There's that great moment where you have the sort of flat nine chord because it implies the minor four over the the five and the bass or whatever. But it's just like this little subtle details in the writing. In one of my favorite little details of this track, which I never fully gave the, the credit uh, um, before now, is the bass is actually changing to the next chord uh, a 16th note ahead of everything else. It's on the uh of four. And nothing else is doing that. The drums are not doing that. Um, and I think that's something that gives a little more propulsion and like momentum to the song. It's one of the many things that make it so dang exciting. Yeah, it definitely makes it more syncopated, exciting, and poppy. But yeah, just the writing, the the just like we've talked about, every single one of the counter melodies, both where it lands. Um, it's balance with the melody, where it falls in the register, the timbre, the sound. I mean, yeah, it, it's really masterful. The, it, there's that, that school of 8-bit harmonic writing where it's somewhere in between classical and pop. Uh, ample parallel fifths when needed. Um, an ample parallel anything, whether it's thirds or sixths. <laughs> but it, there's also this great sort of bugle-like where, you know, the top voice is doing the melody and the bottom voice is sort of like cycling like a bugle through the overtones of the chord. Right. And a mixture between all those different approaches, that's really so much of the sound of video game harmony is just this like... It, it, they both of the parts they split out and they do this little dance because it isn't yeah. just about you know you don't have a guitarist just playing a full chord so it kind of needs to feel like melody and harmony but it also needs to tell you oh actually that's an a flat not an a natural and oh actually that's an F it's sharp. that masterful thing that you get in a lot of nes music too with this track where like when the harmony stops to do something different, to support in another way, and then goes back to it, it's so incredibly subtle and natural that you truly don't notice it. Mm -hmm. I think most people listening to this track, maybe at an early age, they're not going to notice what's happening behind the scenes in order for these three parts uh, <laughs> to feel full. Yeah, I mean, I, I really... For me, as a composer, um, studying 8-bit music has been the most 
influential thing, I think, for yeah, the way that I approach that's writing definitely all true music. for you. So let's move on um, to just an absolute classic piece of video game music, one of the best of all time. This is, let's see, how, we have one, two, three, four, five, six Little Nemo, the Dream Master tracks here. Uh, so five more before we move on. Um, this is just one of the best NES tracks of all time. It's Mushroom Forest, of course, composed by uh, one of the nicknames that Junko Tamiya has is uh, Gonzo. So we can say it's composed by Gonzo. Mushroom Forest. It's an all-time classic for a lot of people, but for the Mercado Bros. I mean, this gets the Mercado seal of approval. This is just as good as a lot of classic Koji Kondo Mario themes. I'm putting it up there. It's on that level. It's just absolutely perfect and pure. It's Mushroom Forest. I love how funky it is. It's the same kind of thing she did on the title screen, where the bass is doing that thing where it's moving to the next chord just before everyone else's, and it makes it more syncopated. Yeah, this is one of the best pieces of video game music, for sure. Yeah, and I I agree with you. It's as good as any of those Koji Kondo Mario themes, but it wouldn't be written by Koji Kondo. No. It could only be written by Junko Tamiya. She has a very unique voice. From every level, I mean, just listening to the sound of the arrangement, I would know it's Junko Tamiya. But in addition to that, yeah, just her careful use of part writing, parallel when it needs to be, contrary motion when it needs to be, and implying so many chords. Well, it's kind of like if you look at... hymns or chorales sometimes they're very basic diatonic you know they go to the dominant for the b section but sometimes you get these really weird chromaticisms that are surprising and dissonant and beautiful with how they resolve and it's so fun because it's like every note of the melody every eighth note even implies a different chord that's what you get from this kind of 8-bit writing because it's so ambiguous every single note that moves almost starts to imply a new harmony yeah and composers like Junko Tamiya I think take the most advantage of it it's like she's squeezing the most harmonic potential out of what these three notes can do together yet it has that amazing effortless quality because there's so much repetition again a lot of pedal stuff with the bass and that's such a great way of inviting new and colorful harmonic moments in without it feeling like hard to follow or just sort of I don't know with a lack of you know attention or something absolutely well one of the qualities that this game uh, the soundtrack of this game has is a very uh, childlike innocence and exuberance and this next track is a great one of the strongest examples of that it's called Toy House from Little Nemo let's take a listen Thank you. 
guys are listening to Toy House. Uh, one thing I definitely want to say about this score is, you guys, a lot of you might know that this game was based on an animated movie, Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. Some people would consider that a kid's movie. I mean, a lot of animated movies, people might go that route. And so you could even say this is a kid's game, I guess. Well, um, and the, there's a song written by the Sherman Brothers yeah. called Little Nemo. And it's a beautiful right. song. You know, mm-hmm. the legendary Disney composers so wrote I think, a song for it. You know, we love the score on its own merits. But one of the other amazing things that Junko Tamiya did with this is it fits in kind of the the historical canon of children's music or animated or musical uh, theater in a way. It has that innocence, that excitement to it. Totally. And I think that's just so wonderful that she was able to make music on that level because there's a lot of amazing music over the years uh, that has been written, whether it's for musicals or animated movies or Disney movies, things like that. And I feel like Junko Tamiya definitely has the sense of imagination and craft uh, to compete with all that amazing music. Yeah, I mean, it, it, remember when we first listened to the music for Air Fortress and we were just so dazzled yeah. by all the arranging yep. and the part writing? That's what Junko Tamiya's music is is like. I mean, it's it's much more classic and well-known than that, so I think sometimes we take it for granted because we just appreciate yeah. almost the nostalgia of it. But it, it's it's so... Br- especially that B section. Love that section. The, that inner voice with all those suspensions and that gorgeous contrary motion, and it's doing that sort of circle of fifths, getting darker chord progression. Man, it's like... I, I don't know. It's some of the most emotional music written for this very primitive system. It's almost like that designer on Strider, when he, when he said he really wanted the music to be based on emotions, it's almost like that really stuck with and resonated with Junko Tamiya throughout her, her career at Capcom. Let's move on now to the next track we're going to play from Little Nemo the Dream Master. This is Flower Garden. guys listening to Flower Garden. This is composed by Junko Tamiya, and I think some of the titles uh, that we're using today might have been different than titles that we've used in the past, so I think there, there's a couple of different ways that these tracks are known by. Yeah, another beautiful <laughs> NES arrangement here. One of, the th- one of the all-stars of the score to Little Nemo, I gotta say, is the inner voice. Uh, so if we have uh, d- three part writing with a bass line, a melody, and something else, that that something else channel is is maybe one of the things you could study the most 
<laughs> the score. Well, because it's so elegantly written, you know, it one fills of the fun things about game music is usually that alto voice is very angular and just sort of exactly. doing whatever the F it needs to do in the moment because it's just, there's a lot of, yeah, and, and there's a lot to fill here's, out. Here's uh, why that's especially important on the NES. I don't know for a fact which of the pulses uh, for this game was would be chosen to cut out for sound effects, but it doesn't matter. Like, if the melody cuts out, it's going to still sound really beautiful. If that inner voice cuts out, yes, it's going to still sound really beautiful. So that's another yeah, I mean, impressive the, thing. And the other reason why is it's counterpoint. I mean, it's it's the idea of when this voice is static, this voice is moving, and then when that yeah. voice is static, the other voice is moving. Your ear bounces between musical ideas. It makes it feel classical. It makes it feel more sophisticated, but it's also kind of a necessary economic tool to imply more sophisticated emotions with these limited chips. Yeah. You know, it, when you're trying to capture something dreamlike and beautiful... You know, and you only have three notes at one time, you're probably going to have to use, I don't know, either arpeggios or some kind of active part writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like her level of taste, instincts, learned knowledge, but also just applied excellence is so phenomenal. I'm so glad and grateful that we have this opportunity to celebrate Junko Tamiya today. I mean, really one of the best people to ever compose in that era. And in some ways, I still think she's she's pretty underrated. Let's move on to this next track. It's so delightful and plucky. I'm of the opinion that this first kind of um, section that you hear in this track with a really short staccato pulse, I feel like she's going for the sound of pizzicato strings here. Uh, that's just my opinion. But it's a delightful, charming piece of music. Very innocent. Let's take a listen to Night Sea. Sweet. You guys are listening to Night C, composed by Junko Tamiya, one of the simplest pieces of music on the episode. So I love that we get to show that side too. I mean, Junko Tamiya might be known uh, amongst VGM fans for her experimentation, I guess I would say, or just her bold, unique style, taking chances, doing things other composers wouldn't do. I love that we have an example like this, which is is not really that's not what this track is about at all and it's still great yeah i mean this compositionally it feels like children's music like in an orchestral sense it reminds me of tchaikovsky it's, it's very balletic it reminds yeah. me of the dance of the little swans from swan I mean, that, lake that with has that has to have been something that the designers were wanting i mean they had to have had that discussion don't you think there's just so yeah. much of this music reminds me of tchaikovsky 
and and the way that she evokes that that literal pluckiness of the sort of pizzicato and even the phrasing mm -hmm. of the melodic instrument that it it almost gives you a woodwind quality because you hear the difference between tonguing and um, slurring because the note attacks can have this tongue 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 but then they can go so da -la -la -la, you know in very smooth kind of uh, legato sounds and it's it's a great again it, very simple and primitive but you do get the sense of timbre you do get the sense of articulation and she's not necessarily doing super fancy wizardry it's just thoughtful and it's an economy that's the other thing it's like beautiful old game music it's almost like it's part of its beauty is how little space the information takes up. So it's kind of like looking at a great piece of sheet music that it's not like there are no dynamic markings. It's not like it's just a basic, simple score, but it's not yeah. overly notated and messy. There's clarity. And I feel like composing and programming video game music is really the same thing that they're they're essentially it's it's lines of code to tell the machine what to do and so the simpler and less information i imagine the better back when you know you had not much memory capacity yeah. and so the, that's part of the art as well is like how can you make it human and nuanced and varied and colorful without mm -hmm. making it this sort of like like the fallen approach of just like let's make the machine do more than you think it's possible for sure so this is so perfect everyone the last track we're going to play here from little nemo other than our playout, so stick around is nightmare king battle it's the final boss theme from little nemo and i think it's the perfect transition into street fighter 2010 it's more reminiscent of the style and the energy that she went for in Street Fighter 2010, but I think it's perfect for the final boss theme. Most of the music you hear in Little Nemo is very cute and sweet and more evoking an older era music history-wise, where this is a time when she can rock. She can rock out here. I love this track. It's one of the best final boss themes for sure. It is Nightmare King Battle. a good track it's nightmare king battle what i love about jungle to me is whether she's doing you know more classical plucky innocent music or rocking battle themes i mean she is so talented at all of it um i wanted to mention a little thing about her here is following uh the last two titles we're focusing on today nemo and then street fighter 2010 in 1990 to me a left capcom uh, she did not return to video game composing afterwards. Instead, she worked primarily arranging music for live performances and stage music, as well as producing Japanese classical music and working on other stage productions. So she's still in the world of music, but in a very different way. You know, it's interesting. In some ways, it's it's fitting. She's too good for games. Like, I mean, seriously, she just she clearly has a level of sophistication in 
taste and craftsmanship that you know i mean games are a business it's like just like film music it's like sometimes we're just lucky to have artists who go above and beyond and yeah. put all of themselves into their work but really that's not even their mandate their mandate right. you know they're paid money to make content for a thing but it's like we wouldn't be talking about it if that's yeah all it, it truly was. boggles the mind that the music she made was this good because her main goal was to make the designers happy and to give them what they wanted and to fit the game and you know to have a good time doing it but the the fact that the music is that good and that resonates this many years later with so many people still inspires them i mean that's that's a miracle yeah i completely agree and great art is miraculous and that's why it just doesn't line up perfectly in the world of commerce you know i'm sure she's yeah. like having so much musical interest and this is one thing that she did as an expression of her artistry and maybe she felt i can see she would be a fantastic arranger because she makes good choices she cares about the notes she cares about is it an a natural is it a b flat no let's make it this like she's very particular in that kind of mind i'm sure she could make a heck of a lot more money doing like arranging for live concerts than you know writing 8-bit video game music well, it is time finally to move on to Street Fighter 2010, my personal favorite score that she ever did. We have one, two, three, four, five, six tracks uh, we're going to focus on here to close out the day. We did play in with a track, too, from 2010. Let's start off with a little background. You guys are listening to a little background from Street Fighter 2010. I love the style and the sound that Tamiya went for on Street Fighter 2010. It's honestly, it's right up Tim Fallon's alley. I wish we would have asked him about this score. I mean, I imagine he loves or would love the score to Street Fighter 2010 because there's a lot of kind of folky, uh, kind of Jethro Tull inspired music, like real like Gaelic rock. It's just, it's really cool sound. And it's it's a perfect excuse for Junko Tamiya to kind of stretch out and yeah. and just go into some places that we really hadn't heard on the system. I completely agree that Fallen would love this, uh, but again, this is Junko Tamiya. It's like she's got her own unique voice, and it's more about the economy of notes in a way. It's like she loves part writing and yeah. composing meticulous lines that have heart. Um, and I, I don't know. To me, that really speaks to me and my brain and how I process music. Like. Everybody is different, but this sort of approach, I just so love that, like, you know, you can tell it's painstaking and it was done slowly to create this amazing machine that dances and glistens before your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, this kind of well-crafted music, but it it also has such a storytelling quality, much Mm -hmm. like film music. Like, this takes me to a dark, futuristic world. It's dystopian. Yeah, exactly. It's it's frightening. There's some danger, but it's cool. It's cyberpunk. It's so cool that these two games she worked on, the last thing she did 
Little Nemo, the Dream Master, which is definitely a lot more about nature and forest and animals and stuff like that. And then Street Fighter 2010, a sci-fi game. So it's cool that she had such two different uh, kind of types well, of games it, and scores. It, the last thing that I wanted to mention, uh, the use of rhythms and that kind yeah. of sound of almost like a septuplet or a quintuplet or one of those odd subdivisions that she either did sort of manually by delaying notes. It has a human performance. The quality. use of grace notes that she does on Street Fighter 2010 is absolutely iconic, and we're going to hear a lot of it. It's it's so cool. Okay, the next two tracks are a one-two punch for me, and I think they're the most exciting things she did. They're just so exciting, just blood pumping. Uh, this is Alleyway from Street Fighter 2010. I truly cannot accurately communicate my love for Street Fighter 2010. It's it's one of the best NES scores of all time. I think it's incredibly underrated, and I and I know a lot of people love it. I'm not <laughs> I'm not trying to say that it's super obscure, but it's still very underrated for me. Uh, this is Alleyway, composed by Junko Tamiya, and yeah, she on this score is the Japanese Tim Fallon. I mean, it's like yeah, she shreds at times. She takes little what sound and feel like solos um amazing melodies amazing groove amazing energy and drive just unlike yeah, anything else she's halfway between takashi teishi and tim fallen yeah uh it yeah just incredible writing inspired choices great storytelling but elegance and simplicity uh, the mixture of craft and great instincts in a way that sets yeah, her I mean, apart. This music, it's like as good as it gets, and it's so simple too. It's like, you know, the, this is a track that like implementationally is not doing anything that special. But that's mm-hmm. what's great about it is it's about the writing, it's about the notes, um, and yeah, this is just freaking phenomenal. And I do love the charming sort of like the bass line being up in the trebly register. Yep. And I feel like she's so thoughtful about register too with the triangle channel. That's why there's so much octave stuff. There's so mm-hmm. much contrasting like let's hear it in this register because now it's really ringy. And also just in terms of frequency, like the squares are so dead. They don't have a lot of bass resonance. The triangle is so bassy and boomy, but because of the way it resonates 
points. It's like, depending on what octave you have, you're filling out a different part of the spectrum. And so right. I feel like she's a composer who that's part of what gives her arrangements a sense of depth is by, by staggering the bass voice, it kind of that's turns a good point, into Will. a bass line and like a guitar response. Yeah. I mean, her bass lines are in, incredibly tasteful and just always so musical and perfect for the track. Well, it was really hard to pick, but we're going to move on to this week's track of the week. I think one reason I chose it is I think it perfectly captures 1990. It captures that time, that era, when she did her last work for video games and left uh, so well. It's such a cool piece of music. I love it so much. It's a Mercado Bros classic. It's City Lights from Street Fighter 2010. just this might be the best NES drag ever it's City Lights from Street Fighter 2010 by the legend Junko Tamiya and I'm doing it well giving another round of applause yeah it, it she really deserves it uh such a fantastic oh, track oh there's so I mean, much it's like so much to what say what else can I, we say it's it's the same of everything that we've played yeah today. I mean the use of the bass octaves on this one like Will called out just so tasteful when she is choosing to harmonize when not I love the journey this track goes on I love the use of portamento it's so cool so futuristic it's just it's a classic piece of video game music and it is only come it could only come from the mind of Junko Tamiya I totally. love that we still get just a little bit of that like medieval sprinkling that we get on a lot of this score that's more uh, not as rocking, right? It's just kind of that more stereotypical fantasy sound. We get that a lot, actually, on the score. And so what I love about this track is it's, it's, it, it sprinkles with that, but it's mostly just a rocker. Yeah, I mean, and it's that type of harmony I was talking about. Where it's leaping, it's not total, it's not staying in parallel thirds. It'll go then from thirds and then fifths and then interchange yeah, between I mean, them. And it's just, it's never doing the same thing for too long and you get such harmonic richness from it. I that. would love to see a visualization of the two pulses and how they're dancing around each other and the, the different functions that they effortlessly transition between yeah this is just it's masterful nes writing it's masterful yeah, I mean, music all of her music if you if you transcribed it it would be beautiful to look at notated yeah, on the page i mean it's just oh, well God. crafted well composed 
How oh, is she this man. good? In it that counterpoint, it, but it, this is great because the the counterpoint here is like a progressive rock counterpoint. It's like one yeah. guy's doing a in a slow ascending line, and one guy's we got to do this repeated. man in the band. Oh man, it's so cool. I yeah, this would be great for our band. I, I mean, I also love that. I mean, the groove wise, harmonically, what happens there? It's just. It's so edgy and it has the her her sound like she she gets she captures the strident sound of rock music just through her writing. Like yeah. you know, in video games are synthy and maybe sound a little distorted already, but like these kind of shrill parallel fists, parallel fourths, it's very bright and bristly and it like mm-hmm. it has this grungy that's why i loved you know i know it's junko but we always called her junko because yeah you know her music's got some junk to it it's like it's it junk does. punk it is definitely got some grunge to it all right let's move on to a track that i was kind of alluding to this this is a little bit more of just like straight fantasy it's interesting that this is for a sci-fi game because it reminds me more of a game that would take place a long time ago uh, and so it's interesting that she brings that style to, to the score this is wetland from street fighter 2010 You guys are listening to Wetland from SF 2010. And I do find some of these tracks interesting because they don't feel like sci-fi to me. They feel like fantasy. Um, And I think that's cool because, I mean, we've talked about this before, but Star Wars technically takes place in the past. So sometimes there's a a cyclical, uh, you know, timeless quality that some of these sci-fi adventures can have. But... But how cool is this track? I mean, this is another track that really reminds me of the work of, of Tim Fallon. At the very least, I think he would appreciate this track. Yeah, 100%. Ugh, the writing here. This so Articulation is on yeah, point it's, here. It's progressive rock. It's classical. It's it's just so spot on great. And again, her, her strident harmonies, those bristling parallel fifths. Uh, used for coloristic effect yet now I also hear you know her harmonic language that half diminished sound with arpeggios makes me think of the you know sweet home track that she has a very lyrical part of her voice as well you know what's so impressive is we're doing an episode on Junko Tamiya who did not do a lot of games she really didn't and I still feel bad about some of the ones we're not including. And I still feel bad about, like, some of the tracks that we don't have time for from this score, Street Fighter 2010, or from Little Nemo. So it's like, the stuff she did was all so, so good that you could have, like, two episodes on her music. And it was only for, like, a few years that, that she worked in this industry. So 
that's just yeah, I mean, it's like impressive. it's like great artists or musicians who die young and they make like one or two albums, and but those albums are like studied and revered, yeah. or you know, composers who die like Schubert died pretty young. I mean, he left a massive body of work, but there are classical composers who kind of have a very brief. Uh, record of of music, but it's, it's true. just there. What they did create was like a really something very seminal and important. And I think Junko Tamiya is absolutely in that category. For I would agree this, with that for this industry. Um, well, we have two more tracks from Street Fighter 2010. Let's move on to Spaceway. guys listening to spaceway um what is so cool about this track is it has some of the classic junko tamiya earmarks when it comes to implementation some of the things that she's known for compositionally too i think it's it's one of those tracks that embody her style i didn't really consider it for track of the week but it is one of the most pure junko i mean this is like everything that she loves to do is is captured in this track i guess you could say that for a lot of this music today though i love this yeah one. Oh, so gorgeous like her suspensions just, are so good i want to notate all of it i want to release a book of sheet music of you should do that junko to me i mean her music is so i would exceptionally you know what, well i'm glad you actually said that because i would love that i would love to learn some of this stuff on like solo piano i think it would and i think it would be possible incredibly like incredibly some of well. it would be difficult to like you'd almost need like three fingers but the bass lines are so easy that i think yeah. you could probably do versions of just catching a bass note with the pedal and then just focusing on the two voices it probably wouldn't right. have a boom 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 you know it would have to be more simple but her writing would lend to more classical style flowing piano music. Well, we're going to end our day with another um, high fantasy track. It has that kind of Celtic, that medieval uh, use of harmonics, I would say. Uh, this is Underwater from Street Fighter 2010, and it's going to end our time with the score. Let's take a listen to Underwater. <laughs> guys listening to underwater uh we mentioned it before but will <laughs> reminds me he brings up a really good point chunko tamiya i think is we both think 
is such a strong influence for Jay Kaufman. I would love to talk with him about specifically her influence on his music. Yeah, I mean, she's one of the all-time legends of this form, and the the particular music that she elevated game music to by putting it authentically in some of these genres, like many of the greats. You know, we mentioned Tim Fallon and others, and Koji Kondo, I mean... So many of the great, you know, Takashi Tateishi, Yoko Shimomura, Manami Matsumai, a lot of the names that we've mentioned here today, a lot of the great Capcom composers, you know, they're also fluent, but her music has this perfection to it, frankly. I mean, I think Tateishi's does as well, uh, but most composers, what's great about their music is the idea is so strong and how it's Mm -hmm. arranged is less important. It's like it could be played on a guitar or a piano or you could just hum it and it's great yeah. but Junko Tamiya's music it, the interesting thing is it isn't always great in that way you can't always just like sing a couple bars of her music and like get the gist of it it's really the right. detail it's every single note counts and that's what makes her music in a sense it's more like art music rather than popular music like because so much it's about counterpoint and her classical approach writing. And, like, the extent that she uses counterpoint is one of the reasons why her music feels so full in a way that some NES music doesn't. We've talked about it before, but the influence of, we can just broadly say, classical music was so important for NES composers because that was such a natural way to use those limited channels to make something that feels full and exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's kind of like, got to be front and center of the conversation yeah, it's true as so far guys as that topic goes we played in the episode with a track <laughs> kind of funny from street fire 2010 we're going to close our episode with a track from little nemo the dream master this is the epilogue um again composed by junko tamiya who has a nickname of gonzo just hats off to this amazing composer we're all just so grateful for the music that she was able to make in the, these few years just inspiring stuff in tamiya san if you're ever listening to this uh we'd love to speak to you or have you on the show but if not i hope that um in some ways all of uh, our community's collective love for your music is able to reach you or reach your spirit some way and even Let's just hope. like if it could it, it, anybody has a way of getting a hold of her to um <laughs> share some of this love because i just feel like we're fortunate you know so many yeah. of our favorite game music icons they're living composers and while they're alive they need to be lauded and they need to be celebrated and spoken to directly junko tamiya you're effing amazing and we all raise a glass and we love you, you. <laughs> and your music is unparalleled what a fun episode. Next week, uh, we're going to have our finale episode, and it will be a laid-back one, just just a spoiler alert. Uh, it's a busy summer for us, so I look forward to a really relaxing and laid-back episode next week. We'll be able to reminisce, and we'll have some fun games to play. Will, do you like games? I love games. <laughs> good. <laughs> that's a good podcast to co-host. Uh, I think that's about it. Will, do you got anything else at the end? That's it for me. Enjoy epilogue from Little Nemo. Thanks so much, Junko Tamiya, for your music. And thanks for listening, everybody. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.